Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the All In for Citrus podcast. I am your host, Taylor Hillman. We've got a great podcast today talking about some updates on what some of the citrus agents are doing, also on a nutrition guide. But first, as always, we're going to start our podcast with UF IFAS Citrus Research and Education Center Director, Dr. Michael Rogers. Dr. Rogers, how are you doing? Uh, doing well, Taylor. How are you? Doing pretty well. We wanted to get an update before we get into some other stuff with you on how things are operating, um, slowly starting to reopen up, reopen things back up and get going again. What's going on with you guys? Yeah, so um, like everyone else in the state of Florida right now uh, that's entering this phase one of, of a return to what we're going to call normal, I guess, uh, the university is we're now entering a phase one of our plan as well. And um, so what, what we're doing right now in our statewide citrus programs, we're really seeing quite an increase in our activities and, and field-related research projects. We, ha- we have a lot of folks, we have, we've given approval to get out and travel, whether it's to field sites that are on our stations or even in some of our, the commercial groves that we work in with growers around the state. Um, there's a lot of changes in how we're doing that. Uh, you'll see people, you might, if, if you're a grower and you've got people coming out to your field, you might see two or three cars pull up because we're only letting one person per car, tra- you know, travel uh, any distance uh, to try to practice that social distancing. And we want to make sure that our employees stay safe and healthy and, and don't be offended if, if you're in your gro- if they're in your grove and you approach them and they back up or put on a mask, you know, we, we've instructed them to stay away from people. And, uh, you know, try to keep our distance because we, we want to protect our employees' health, but also the health of our, co- our grower cooperators as well. So so we've made a lot of progress on, on getting things going back in the field so we're not losing any, any of the important data and research in the field. And uh, so I think, I think we're, that's a real positive uh, for us right now. And also the other component of, of phase one for us um, in our statewide citrus programs is um, uh, a ramping up, if you will, of our laboratory research activities. Um, we've we've been limited to only a very small number of people coming in to do uh, just absolute critical care of of colonies, cultures, things like that, things that just have to be done so, or so we don't lose anything. But now we're, we're getting the ability to um, increase some of the, the tasks that we can do to make sure that we can keep some of the research going forward a little faster. Our, our folks haven't quit working. They've been working from home, uh, working on data analysis uh, and, and other things like that, writing reports, a lot of grant proposals this time of year. But but now we're able to to send some more people back into the to the labs. It's going to be um, a little different. It's going to be uh, staggered schedules. We may see people working even you know shifts, even like a midnight shift, for example. But we're we're developing those plans right now, submitting those to to for approval to Gainesville, so we can um, uh, continue to start slowly and gradually increase the amount of activity uh, in our research labs around the state. Good. It's, it's, I'm glad we're we're beginning to see a light at the end of the tunnel when it comes to a new normal. Uh, one thing that has progressed during this time that that didn't take a back seat was um, UF has found a new uh, vice president for IFAS. Correct? Uh, yes. Uh, and the announcement went out uh, just about a week or so ago. Uh, uh, Dr. Scott Angle 
um, has, was offered and accepted the position to be our new vice president for IFAS. And so we're all uh, very excited. We had a, a really strong candidate pool, three excellent applicants. We could have won with any of those three would have been outstanding for us. And, um, you know, we've got uh, Dr. Engel, who's going to be coming to us with a breadth of experience from other universities and uh, even at the federal government level. So in private industry, too. So um, he's going to bring a, a, a wealth of, of diverse experience to the position. Um, he'll be starting officially July the 13th. So uh, Dr. Jack Payne will remain in his position a little longer than he planned on. He'll stay on board till June the 12th. Uh, but, but June the 13th, you'll hear uh, Dr. Scott Engel will be on board. Um, he's actually got some, uh, some uh, trips scheduled and meetings with us even prior to that to help get up and going. But um, he's going to hit the ground running, and I don't think it will take long before he starts having meetings, whether it's virtual meetings or small group meetings with, with growers and stakeholders around the state. And so uh, I think we all can look forward to that and, and, you know, the new ideas and fresh perspective that he's going to bring to the position and what we, he can help do to advance um, our efforts in reaching our agricultural um, uh, cooperators and clientele around the state. Very good. That is exciting. I'm sure we will talk to Dr. Engel on this podcast in future episodes as well. Um, reopening is great. Uh, we're looking at uh, ramping things back up, as you mentioned, but you guys are still continuing with some of the online stuff to make it available to growers. One of the things is the Citrus Institute. That's coming online here pretty soon from um, what the uh, agents have been telling you. Yes, I've talked to our Citrus Extension agents, um, and they have been working hard to get uh, work with our faculty to develop the presentations that were going to be delivered at Citrus Institute. Uh, I think it was back in April in, in Avon Park. And so those are going to be online. There'll be a few that come online maybe each month over a period of time. Uh, we've got the first installment, I think, ready. The agents do. And really, they're just waiting on one component of that is getting the approvals for CEUs. So if growers tune in and uh, go through those presentations and then perhaps take a little quiz or something at the end, uh, whatever they need to do to uh, sign off and get those approvals for CEUs, that will be possible. And so I think that that's one of the benefits um, that I know a lot of people when they attend the meetings are looking for CEUs uh, for their pesticide license um, uh, renewals. And so uh, our agents have been very diligent in trying to make sure that that continues and so uh, any day now, we expect to have the first installment of those online. And, and you'll see uh, information come out from both the Citrus Extension agents from their newsletters and emails they send out to growers. And we'll make sure that that's also advertised in the statewide um, Citrus Extension newsletter as well. And they can sign up for that on your website, and we can put something out on citrusindustry.net as well. Um, you guys also have an upcoming webinar that you're excited about. Yes, and this isn't necessarily um, citrus specific, but each year about um, May or June time period, um, our extension dean, Dr. Nick Place, does a, a statewide uh, webinar for all of our agricultural stakeholders around the state. And usually what happens is uh, we're in, we invite everybody to the various county offices or RECs around the state for an interactive uh, webinar. Um, where Dr. Place will give just an overview of what's happening statewide in our extension programs and plans for the future. Um, now, obviously, this year we can't, we can't, we're, we're limiting groups um, on our property, so we can't invite everybody to get together. But that is going to be um, made available uh, probably through the Zoom platform, I would assume. 
um, that, that statewide webinar uh, will be happening on Monday, June the 8th at 3 o'clock p.m. Uh, there will be information going out about that. Uh, you'll probably see emails from um, yeah, UFIFS Extension, from Jerry Shell. You know, we'll have stuff through uh, our, our statewide citrus newsletter. And there will probably be many other avenues that this information is going to be coming out to different different commodity groups as well. So I just want to make sure people are aware of that. Monday, June the 8th, 3 o'clock p.m. Put it on your calendar and hopefully you can tune into that webinar uh, to uh, interact and have some discussion with Dr. Nick Place on, on what's happening in UFIFIS extension and, and ideas that growers have and things that we can do to help assist you throughout the state. Well, that's good. Yeah. So save the date. Uh, this is exciting. You've got the webinar with information. You've got possibly uh, continuing education with the Citrus Institute, a new head of uh, UF IFAS. And uh, you guys are starting to open back up. I, I Positive news this uh, month for this episode. And I think that's a step in the right direction. Yes, I mean we we're all excited to uh, you know get back to a more normal routine as things used to be. Um, but the thing is, we've not quit working. We're continuing to work and advance our science, and uh, and we just hope that we just look forward to that time where we can get back one on one with growers and and be a lot more interactive. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to continue to expand that our capabilities uh, digitally to reach growers any way we can. And, and as usual, you know, any questions or any way we can be of assistance, pick up the phone, email us. Um, we're doing our best to be as responsible, if maybe even more responsive than we have been in the past. Uh, so nobody feels like we're not there to serve them because that's that that's our job and that's what we're here to do. UF IFAS Citrus Research and Education Center Director, Dr. Michael Rogers. Dr. Rogers, thank you for your time today. All right. Thank you, Taylor. We're now joined by Southwest Florida Research and Education Center Director and Professor Dr. Kelly Morgan. Dr. Morgan, how are you? Fine, thank you. We're talking today because uh, an important update to the Nutrition of Florida Citrus Trees publication you guys have. That's the fertilization guide that you, you have put out. There is now a third edition and there's some um, very important updates to this one. Talk about what you guys did in this third edition. Well, we've been requested by the growers for a number of years now to update the publication. Uh, this publication was originally published in about 1996 uh, by a group of, uh, of faculty at UF that, that are now retired. And uh, Tom Abriza and I did the second, uh, second edition, uh, the first update to that publication in 2008. And that was just as HLB was coming uh, onto the scene in Florida and becoming such a, uh, a critical problem for the citrus growers. And we've wanted ever since to provide uh, new information, uh, particularly on, on nutrition of, of the citrus trees with HLB. Uh, but we wanted to wait uh, a, a period of time to, to give the most uh, most appropriate update. So uh, between 2008 and, and uh, 2020, uh, we we collected all the information and uh, kept the majority of the information that was in the 2008 uh, publication because all of that information on soil sampling, leaf tissue analysis, and so forth is uh, still valid, but uh, we wanted to add all the new information on nutrition. And 
nutrition has become a key uh, a key practice for the growers to maintain their trees and maintain productivity. So several changes to this addition or additions, I should say, not changes, additions uh, in, in several of the chapters, chapters two, six, eight, nine, and 11, they deal with irrigation management, um, protective screens, fertilization and nutrient management, soil management. One of the ones that looked uh, pretty extensive that you were that that's in this new edition is the nutrient management. That's the fertilization rates and timing. Um, and and that's the idea here is you guys you guys needed some time on these uh, research projects to be able to officially recommend things to growers. And in this one, um, you guys had a five year trial and some of those results are in there, correct? That, that's right. Along with with other studies that we've done, uh, HLB first came into Florida in 2005. And so we, it took us a, a period of time to really understand what the disease uh, did to the trees and how they reacted. So we started uh, this five-year study in, in uh, 2010, uh, finished it up in 2015. We've uh, published all of that information. We, we've done some additional studies uh, since then, and all of that information is now in this publication. And, what we have found is that uh, minor nutrients, uh, primarily uh, zinc, uh, iron, uh, boron, and uh, and particularly manganese. Manganese seems to be the most critical one. Uh, are very are very important to the trees and allowing them to uh, to grow substantially and to uh, rebound and yield. We found that. Um, uh, alter, you know, differences from, from past, uh, production practices where we would spray nutrients on, uh, maybe once a year or every other year. What we were finding is that we had to, uh, to go to about three or four times our recommended rate at, uh, selected times during the year, uh, in order to improve the health of the trees. And that was, that was very critical. That was something that was not known. It wasn't in the literature from other parts of the world. So that's uh, that was a key uh, key discovery that we have in, in this new publication. And again, you guys have made these additions, and it's very nice how you've laid these out. They are in separate blue boxes. Um, they're at the beginning of the chapters. They're nice additions, but the old information is still great information for normal citrus tree production. Correct. That's correct, and that's why we've left it as it was uh, in the 2008 uh, edition. We we feel that that information is perfectly valid. Once we get back to a healthy tree situation, uh, we're far from that in Florida right now, but in in California and other places, they're still growing uh, very healthy trees. Uh, once once we have um, tolerant uh, citrus uh, scions and rootstocks. Uh, yeah, we we hope to get back to more of a healthy condition, and those those practices will be uh, valid again. But we we wanted to add uh, the information that that uh, that appears in the blue boxes, so that the growers would have that information and get through this uh, you know this time where their their uh, their trees are suffering from uh, HLB. 
No, I, I think it's I think it's a great addition, and and again, it's I know on the research end of things, it can be um, difficult to get to the point to where you can actually recommend something to growers. So this is a nice update. How can growers get their hands on this new edition of the guide? Uh, can they request it or can they find it online? We're in the process right now of having uh, a number of the publications printed. Uh, we we obtain funding for that and that will be happening over the next uh, month or so. So we will have them available at citrus meetings uh, over the next uh, several months. We have uh, the Citrus Expo uh, show that uh, happens every uh, every August uh, in the Fort Myers area. We will definitely have it for that show. Uh, it can also be obtained online. Uh, we have a, an EDIS uh, publication uh, portal from the University of Florida. That's the electronic uh, uh, document uh, pro, uh, portal that we have. If you just uh, if you just uh, Google EDIS, you'll get there, and then you can uh, look up citrus free uh, nutrition, and and it'll take you right there. The entire publication is available uh, to download as a PDF, or uh, the individual chapters uh, can be uh, downloaded as well uh, as a PDF. And so a lot of growers have done that, uh, downloaded and copied off or printed off the, uh, uh, the, the PDF so they would have it available uh, as they're out in the field. And that's the version that I'm looking at, and that is, uh, it's very easy to to look at and to read online, again, with the way you guys have laid this out, so it's good information. The one other section I wanted to highlight before we conclude here is um, the other big area that was uh, has a bigger um, amendment to it is the Chapter 9, where you're talking about irrigation management and citrus water requirements. Um, also seems like a very vital uh, recommendation with HLB infected trees that you can officially put out there for growers? Uh, yes, uh, that was another thing that we found uh, that was uh, unusual with, with citrus trees that are affected by HLB is that besides the, uh, the deficiency symptoms that the trees were exhibiting, they were very sensitive to, to water status. Uh, they would they would go into a wilt and, and lose leaves and 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 die very rapidly from from water stress. And so we did a series of experiments where we compared uh, healthy trees to to uh, HLB affected trees. We had to do this in a greenhouse so that we could keep the healthy trees healthy. And we found out that that the uh, uh, one of the symptoms that uh, of HLB that we we weren't aware of uh, prior to us doing this work was that the root system is is very heavily impaired. Uh, the roots die off, and and we actually found out. Uh, Evan Johnson and others found out that in the field, the first symptom is that you lose roots uh, before you can even see anything in the leaves. So um, we we determined that the water uptake by HLB affected trees were about 25 to 35 percent of that of healthy trees and it's because of this loss of root mass and so we've uh, we've we've recommended to growers that they irrigate much more often 
uh, with smaller amounts of water. So uh, we, we, we call it spoon feeding along with the, the nutrition. We, we call that spoon feeding as well. You have to, you have to irrigate these uh, trees almost daily, particularly during the, the drier parts of the year. So uh, that, that was a critical thing that we, we were able to determine and, and make that recommendation. Very good information. Again, you can find this online. We will link it in this podcast and on our website. And hopefully at our show, if we can do this at the Citrus Expo in Florida, that uh, we'll do something big for this publication as well. Again, uh, Southwest Florida Research and Education Center Director, Dr. Kelly Morgan, thank you for your time today. Uh, my pleasure. I'm joined now by Dr. Kirsten Pelstilinski. Uh, thank you for taking some time with me today. Absolutely. You are the uh, Associate Center Director at the CREC facility and Associate Professor of Entomology. Um, let's just start real simply by um, uh, reviewing what you, the majority of your research is looking at right now. Sure. So the majority of my research has really been focused on uh, looking at the uh, bacteria that are associated with the Asian citrus psyllid. They have a number of uh, endo symbiotic bacteria that live inside of them, as well as Liberobacter, which causes citrus greening. And so my lab is really interested in seeing how we can uh, target those microorganisms and Liberobacter inside psyllids to reduce transmission of Liberobacter in the field. So let's talk about Liberobacter. That is the bacteria that is associated with Wang Longbing disease. Um, you guys are really trying to uh, figure out a way to inhibit that so it's not transmitting the virus to the trees, correct? Exactly. That's right. And so um, we are interested in looking at this in the field, but then also um, trying to develop new techniques for targeting those bacteria uh, in the psyllid itself. Are you guys seeing uh, any positive um, trials from this? Are you seeing any results that are showing that you can reduce transmission? We, we are. And so what we find is that when we uh, utilize some antimicrobial compounds, uh, including some of the bactericides that are being used in the field, uh, what these do is they actually end up um, knocking down some of those helpful bacteria that the psyllid relies on for survival. Um, so that in turn uh, ends up reducing the fitness or the survival of the psyllids themselves. And then we also see that psyllids can pick up some of these antimicrobials and it actually will reduce the load of Liberobacter inside the psyllids. So they're not transmitting as much. So there's really two different things that are happening, that reduction in transmission, but also the reduction in the fitness of the insects themselves. Yeah, let's focus on the first one there. Um, you're actually getting some uh, control here with the ACP. Um, and, and as you mentioned, when, when you're using those bactericides, the, the, the pest is feeding off the tree and it needs some of that bacteria, its own bacteria to survive and it's not getting that. Exactly. So, you know, the psyllid relies on some of these bacteria for nutrition and some of the other uh, functions that it, it needs to survive. And so whatever the tree is experiencing in the phloem, if that if those antimicrobials are getting into the phloem, the psyllid's picking those up when it feeds. And if those are antimicrobial, uh, what we find is that there's a reduction in not only Lyrobacter, but some of these really essential bacteria that the psyllid needs to survive. Um, and so without those, they don't uh, maybe reproduce as much. Sometimes Sometimes we see uh, behavioral effects 
Um, but primarily we see a significant reduction in lifespan. And what we find is that, is that this is very dose dependent. So depending on the concentration of the antimicrobial that they're ingesting. So, I mean, a relatively uh, positive unintended consequences as we were talking about uh, before we started recording here, um, something that we, we weren't necessarily thinking about at first, but it is happening. Absolutely. Um, and when these uh, antibacterial agents start started kind of popping up, that was the first thing that we thought of because uh, we've been routinely utilizing antimicrobials in the lab to try to look at the function of these bacteria that live inside the food. So we were already sort of doing this um, uh, experimentally. And, uh, you know, when we started to see these um, uh, compounds um, kind of coming up in uh, field use, we decided to look at that a little bit more in depth, not only um, for the actual targeting of Labyrobacter inside the psyllids, but but yes, because we expected to see this reduction in their healthy kind of bacteria that they need. Very interesting. And and then the second aspect of that is that you are seeing a reduction in the, the load of Labyrobacter. We are. And so, you know, it really depends on what stage the insects are ingesting the antimicrobials and how much of a dose of those uh, antimicrobials that the psyllids get. But um, if it comes at the right time and in the right dosage, we we see that there is a reduction in how infected the psyllids get. And then in turn, that's going to impact how good they are going to be as vectors uh, transmitting um, later to other uh, plants. Obviously, it's it's a it's a little bit challenging right now with uh, the world's situation. But where do we go from here? Where where do, what are the next steps in your guys's research? Um, do we look at this in in more of a in depth way or larger scale? Well, we're definitely looking at it in large scale field trials as well as trying to pin down what those dosages need to be in the laboratory. So we're looking at big trees, small trees, newly planted trees, as well as um, kind of laboratory populations. But then we're also interested in seeing how we can manipulate these bacteria that are inside the insect to kind of do the job for us. So if we can target those bacteria and have them help us out with blocking um, Labyrobacter inside the psyllid, then that's something that we're really excited about doing. And that ties into some new research that you're pretty excited about moving forward with a with a partner, the Department of Defense? Yeah, we have a, a project that we've been working on for um, several years trying to identify the function of some of these um, endosymbiotic bacteria in the psyllid. And so one of our goals is really to be able to manipulate those um, and to try to use them almost as a like a an internal biological control tool to uh, make the psyllids poorer vectors. Uh, for Labyrobacter. Very interesting. Dr. Kirsten Pelstolinski, Associate Center Director at the CREC facility and Associate Professor of Entomology. Thank you for your time today. Sure, absolutely. It was great to be here. And thanks again to all three of our guests on today's episode. Remember that due to the COVID-19 situation, you can find the latest information on operations at both UF IFAS and the CREC facility on their websites. And we'll be back next month. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.